Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is the world-renowned pioneer in the field of integrative medicine, Dr. Andrew Weil. A Harvard-trained medical doctor, Weil is professor of public health, clinical professor of medicine, and the Lovell Jones Professor of Integrative Rheumatology at the University of Arizona, as well as the director of the University of Arizona Center for Integrative Medicine. Andrew Weil was named one of the 25 most influential Americans in 1997 and one of the 100 most influential people in the world in 2005 by Time Magazine, and he's the author of numerous bestsellers, including Eating Well for Optimum Health, Spontaneous Healing, and The Healthy Kitchen. He also writes the popular Self-Healing Column for Prevention Magazine. Dr. Andrew, Andrew Weil is here today on Health Watch to talk about his latest book, Mind Over Meds, Know When Drugs Are Necessary, When Alternatives Are Better, and When to Let Your Body Heal on Its Own. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Andrew Weil. Thank you. So you opened the book, Mind Over Meds, stating that more people are taking more medications than ever before, that in fact, we take 10 times as many prescription medications as the 1950s. And in your mind, you say this is a great cause for concern and, uh, and a red flag for you. And I was hoping you could tell our listeners why that's a problem. First of all, many of these drugs are not necessary. Uh, a lot of them do more harm than good. Uh, they're expensive. There are non-drug methods for treating many common health conditions that can be tried first before you resort to medications. I think most people are unaware of the toxicity and adverse reactions that are possible when taking medications. And also, a lot of the medications that are used long-term actually intensify or prolong the conditions they're meant to treat. So, so when you when you were talking about training doctors, you posed the question, how did we come to believe that medications are the only and most effective way to treat disease? And I think a lot of people would be surprised because of their of their experience with doctors that there are other ways to treat disease than medications. Can you just broaden that that uh, sure, lens for us? Things as dietary adjustment, um, physical activity, uh, stress management, relaxation training as well as all of the other therapies that are out there that are not taught in conventional schools of medicine, such as botanical remedies, uh, manual medicine, such as uh, chiropractic and osteopathic manipulation, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, and the whole realm of mind-body therapies, which covers everything from hypnosis to biofeedback and so forth. You make a list of what you consider the most overprescribed or misused drugs, and those include antibiotics, statins, antihistamines, sleep aids, a lot of things that probably some of our listeners are taking or have taken at one point or another. But the one that you say, the class of medications that you say you're most concerned about are the medications for acid reflux or heartburn. And so I was hoping we could we could start there as an example of like why this is a, a class of medications that the toxicity isn't being talked about and the downsides aren't being talked about. So why why, why are you particularly concerned about this? Uh, when I was growing up, and this is 1940s, 1950s, uh, gastroesophageal reflux did not exist. People had heartburn, and they treated it with Tums, uh, which is a very safe uh, antacid. Um, and I think many people understood that heartburn was your stomach's way of telling you that you had mistreated it. 
either you ate too much, too much of the wrong foods, wrong combinations of foods, and so forth. Now we've totally medicalized this condition, and we see the root problem as too much acid production in the stomach. And we've developed these very powerful drugs that shut off acid production in the stomach. Now, I think for very short-term use, that may be okay, and there are some rare conditions for which those drugs may need to be used. But it is not a good idea to block acid production in the stomach long-term. First of all, that's your main defense against infection coming in by the oral route. Secondly, acid is needed for digestion and absorption of key nutrients. Also, when you put people on this and suppress acid production, the body's going to try to produce more of it. So it becomes impossible to lower the dose or get off it. Um, so when people are put on these drugs for more than a few weeks, they become dependent on them, and it is a very tough dependence to break. And there's an increasing body of evidence that long-term use of these is associated with serious problems, including increased risk of dementia and increased risk of all-cause mortality. So I think it's a good idea not to get on them in the first place. And if people have been on them long-term, um, you really need to do some careful work and planning in order to dis discontinue their use. And I'm very alarmed by the fact that how widely these are given out. They're over-the-counter forms that are, people take like candy. <laughs> Most doctors never warn patients about the dangers of dependence or the adverse reactions. And I know many people who come in with symptoms of heartburn and the drugs are prescribed without even a dietary history being taken. <laughs> are you still there, Dr. Weil? I'm here. Okay, great. Um, well, and and, inter and and one of the things that that's obvious by this sort of prescription is you're not really looking for the cause, and often the cause for something like heartburn is is potentially multifactorial. So, um, what would be some of the things that um, you in in Mind Over Meds talk about in terms of possible interventions that wouldn't be pharmaceutical? Well, first is dietary adjustment, and that means looking at whether use of alcohol, coffee, other forms of caffeine, maybe irritant, irritants of the stomach, uh, how much people are eating, what kinds of foods. Um, stress is a major contributor to dysfunction in the GI tract, so uh, some sort of relaxation training I think is crucial. There are some safe uh, natural remedies, things mild ones like chamomile tea, a licorice extract called DGL that you can get at natural food stores that increases the mucus coating in the lining of the stomach. Um, there's really a range of possibilities of things to try. And uh, before you resort to these drugs, and if you are on them and trying to get off them, I've given a list of things that you can uh, use to help yourself in the process of slowly weaning off the medication. Well, let's move on to another category. So we're not going to be able to obviously cover um, many of the categories you have in mind over meds, but another one is, is statin medications. And right now, about one out of four people, adults in the United States, are on statins. And there are even people who say we should put statins in the, in the water supply. So, um, it's a bad idea. <laughs> And of course, are very effective at one thing, which is lowering what we call bad cholesterol, LDL cholesterol. Um, they're very good at that, but that's only one factor that contributes to coronary artery disease. We'd also like to be able to raise HDL cholesterol. We don't have any medications for that to change the uh, particle size of, of LDL cholesterol to decrease inflammation in the body. Uh, it's also, I think, a very sobering um, thought 
that most people never consider. Half of people who have first heart attacks have normal serum cholesterol. So cholesterol is not the only culprit. And I worry that when doctors put patients on a statin, they think they've discharged the responsibility there. They don't have to talk about diet or exercise or stress management, you know, it's taken care of. There are clear indications for using statins. I think they are effective at this one thing that they do, but I think they're much too widely prescribed and taken. And again, they're not without uh, risk. I think the, the risks are not as serious as with some of the other categories of drugs that I discussed, but there are risks of muscle, muscle dysfunction, liver dysfunction, and so forth. And possible cognitive impairment similar to the acid reflux medications, exactly, too. Yes. yes. Well, one of the areas that I think uh, some people might be surprised about just because of how commonplace they are that that is sleep medications. Sleep medications have their own set of risks. Some of them seem like they could be potential. They're correlations, not necessarily proven causes, but um, there are some correlative things with sleep medications that are quite disturbing. Uh, talk to us about why we should be more judicious when we uh, yep. enter that category of medications. Okay. Uh, first of all, I'm talking about both over-the-counter and prescribed medications for sleep. I think they both present similar problems. None of these medications reproduce natural sleep. They distort what we call sleep architecture. For example, they all suppress dreaming, and dreaming is an essential component of good restorative sleep. Uh, many of them are dependence-producing and create very serious kinds of dependence and addiction. Uh, a lot of them, when they're used more than very short-term, cause cognitive impairment. Um, one of the most common uh, over-the-counter sleep aids is Benadryl, the antihistamine, which makes you drowsy. And use of that over time is associated with an increased risk of dementia. So I think it is appropriate to use a sleep aid for very short-term management of situational insomnia. If you're traveling, crossing time zones, if there's a death in the family, some other kind of emotional upset, you know, using them for a few days is okay, but it is not a good idea to rely on these long-term uh, to get to sleep. And the quantity of these medications that are taking, the numbers of people using them is very alarming. There's a whole field called sleep hygiene, which uh, covers everything from whether you have aches and pains, whether you can't turn your mind off, whether your mattress is comfortable, the noise in the environment, the amount of light in the bedroom, use of caffeine, and so forth. All of these things should be examined uh, to see whether you can promote natural restorative sleep before resorting to one of these medications. If you have to take something, the two uh, safe natural products that I recommend are an herb, valerian, uh, which has been used for centuries. Uh, it's quite safe, works well for most people. And the other is melatonin, um, an, another natural product produced in the brain that regulates our day-night cycles. And uh, both of these, I think, are okay to use. But again, I wouldn't use them regularly. Well, it's interesting. I know uh, these, these, again, are are correlative studies, but there are large studies that show uh, increased all-cause mortality for people who are on sleep medications long-term as well, which is pretty yep. disturbing, as well as an increased possible increased risk of de depression. Yes. Um, well, another thing in Mind Over Meds that uh, I thought was very useful and something you don't see in a lot of, uh, of books is how to address 
situation with older patients, particularly ones who are on a very large number of medications. How, it's, it's a challenging thing for physicians, and I think some of these patients get dismissed quickly because it's a really hard thing to puzzle out um, from the physician standpoint. What is what are primary symptoms and what are symptoms caused by other medications? How do you go about um, addressing medication management with uh, people who are on five or more medications? Well, let me say that when I look in the medicine cabinets of older uh, people, it's not uncommon to find 12 different medications there, often prescribed by different practitioners who probably haven't communicated with each other. And no one may be overseeing uh, all of this medication, particularly for possible interactions of medications with each other that can be very bad for the patient. Um, and many of these are duplicative or not necessary. <laughs> I think the best strategy is to consult a pharmacist uh, for something called a medication uh, therapy management review. This is a service that pharmacists are trained to provide. Actually, many physicians are unaware that pharmacists can do this, um, as well as most patients. But I think it's very valuable. So find it, and often this service is covered by Medicare or it's, um, you know, really nominally uh, um, expensive. And it is very, very useful. The pharmacist can look over the, all the medications that a person is taking, say whether they're necessary, whether any are duplicative, whether there might be adverse interactions. The pharmacist can't change the medications, uh, but he or she can contact the uh, provider uh, with recommendations and also advise the patient and family um, about the recommendations. Well, let's move on to another another category, um, antidepressants, which are the second most prescribed medication in the United States and, and ones that are usually given without a diagnosis by a general practitioner rather than by a psychiatrist. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the program that some of the medications that you go over in the book actually in the long, with long-term use will prolong the, the symptoms that are being treated. So sort of paradoxically can, can make the length of, of a certain illness longer. Um, is, is antidepressants one of those? Yes, and the reason for this, and it's the same thing And when we talked about the acid-blocking drugs, when you uh, um, direct a, a force against the body, you know, a pharmacological force, the body reacts against it. That's a process called homeostasis. So if you remove the, if, if you use the medication long-term, that reaction of the body often prolongs or intensifies the illness. So in the case of the acid-blocking drugs, the pressure to produce acid builds and builds, and then you can't get off the drug or lower the dosage. So something similar is seen with the most uh, popular category of antidepressants, the SSRIs that increase serotonin at neural junctions in the, in the brain. If you increase serotonin in the brain, what is the body going to do? It's going to make less serotonin, and also it drops serotonin receptors. So over time, say a year of continuous use, it becomes very difficult to get off that drug, and depression is often prolonged or intensified. This is called, and there's a technical term for this now, called tardive dysphoria, which means lingering bad mood, which is due to the use of the medication. So in, in Mind Over Meds, what would be some of the things that you would then look at 
for people who are either considering going on an antidepressant or or maybe want to take something in order to get off of an antidepressant? Yeah, first of all, let me say um, there's a growing body of evidence that these drugs are not very effective, that often it's very hard to tell them apart from placebos, especially in mild to moderate depression, and in many cases of severe depression as well. Um, so for, for that reason, as well as the adverse effects, it's worth looking at other strategies. Um, there are many studies showing that uh, psychotherapy, especially cognitive therapy, uh, is as effective as medication use in depression. The best evidence we have for interventions with depression is for physical activity. You know, regular exercise is both a very effective preventive and treatment for depression. Another is the use of supplemental fish oil, a uh, source of omega-3 fatty acids, that this is a very safe natural intervention. It is highly prote protective and helpful, again, both as prevention and treatment. There's a lot of other things to do. I have a, whole, a previous book called Spontaneous Happiness that looks at emotional health and wellness, and there's, there's a lot, there are a lot of recommendations there for uh, ways that you can manage uh, most cases of depression. I, w I was happy to see that you included acupuncture as one intervention too, something that a lot of people might not think of when it comes to mental, emotional uh, well-being. You want to find an acupuncturist who has some experience with using it for uh, emotional problems, but yes, it, there's some good documentation that it's effective. Well, so in our, in our final minutes today, maybe we can just speak more generally to what you see as the role of Mind Over Meds as a book, who, who the audience is, um, and maybe some final thoughts on, on um, why you would encourage anybody um, that this book is targeting to potentially reevaluate their, their treatment strategies. I wrote the book for a, as general an audience as possible. I hope that physicians will read it because I think many doctors are unaware of the information that's in there, both of the, uh, the real risks uh, of long-term use of these medications and the uh, alternatives that are out there that you can recommend instead. I think this will be very useful to consumers in general. If, and, uh, you know, if you have family members on medication, you yourself, I think this gives you uh, good information so that if some, a doctor tells you that you should be on a medication, uh, I think you want to ask why. And if you can't understand the explanation, um, I, I would wait and look to see if there are other ways of managing the condition. So my hope is that really all kinds of people read this, health professionals and lay people alike, and find it very useful. Do you, do you feel like there's any movement? I know this book is sort of filling a gap because as we go to see the our primary care physicians, they're, they're not spending the time to discuss the downsides of things they prescribe. Is there is there any movement, do you feel, um, to... I do. You know, the other problem is that, that uh, physicians are not trained in these other methods. And this is what we're trying to correct in the field of integrative medicine. You know, our curriculum includes information about nutrition and mind-body medicine and alternative medical practices and so forth. Another problem is the uh, very great influence of the pharmaceutical companies on prescribing practices of physicians and on consumers. I think direct consumer advertising of prescription drugs has created great demand for them so that there's pressure from patients to, for doctors to prescribe. So I think it's a really general problem that we face, and it has to be attacked you know, from very different directions. But I think good information and education is the, is the most important piece. Well, it was a pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Dr. Weil. Thank you for having me.